The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. couple of reflections this morning. In our daily lives, this week we've really been looking a lot at waking up to what's happening and in particular, of course, exploring the, the reactivity, the hindrances and um, I want to offer another support for that. That when, when, we, when we wake up to whatever's going on, sometimes there can be a feeling of instability or a feeling of, of reaction to what we're seeing, uh, a resistance. I talked about resistance the other day, that resistance can be paired with pretty much any of the hindrances. And um, there are times, there are, there are times when um, there's a possibility of when we notice the hindrance and some kind of reactivity to that hindrance that perhaps we can um, bring in reflection We've talked about reflection a bit this week, bringing in some thoughts that are wisdom thoughts related to the teaching, related to the understanding um, that might support the mind to be able not so much to let go of the hindrance, but maybe to let go of the resistance, to let go of any reactivity to, to, the, uh, to, the, to the hindrance. And there's some classic ones that the Buddha suggests. Um, you know, he suggests that we might reflect, this is impermanent. This is not me, not mine, not who I am. Um, this is unreliable. This is suffering. That actually has been really helpful for me, acknowledging all right, what's happening is suffering. And that, that acknowledgement for me is, is powerful, partly because it, it's in line with what the Buddha taught. It's in line with the Buddha's words. The first, the first time I um, kind of really consciously noticed this as wisdom in my mind, the first time it came up, it was kind of a complaint. You know, the first time the thought arose, it was kind of like, oh, this is suffering. Why am I suffering so much? And then the mind kept reflecting, so suffering, oh, oh, suffering, oh, this is suffering. This is not, uh, this, is what I, this is what the Buddha asked me to understand. This is, this is the work. And so it went from taking it personally to recognizing it as a human condition. And so that reflection can help us, you know, this is suffering, can help us to recognize the humanness of what's happening. Um, so this is using thought in our practice. It's actually consciously bringing in thoughts that may help to balance the mind. Um, 
our practice often we explore as a non um, non wording a non uh, non conceptual um, awareness, and yet there are times when our thoughts can support us. Another one that um, arose this morning in my in my meditation, just at the very beginning of the meditation, maybe because of the conditions of of the hurricane in in Houston and the you know just the kind of uncontrollability and just the the you know the the way we don't know what's going to be happening for us in the next day or even the next moment. The reflection was along those lines of, of I don't know how long I'm going to be alive. How do I want to spend this time? That that reflection of the impermanent nature of this existence. It was not a depressing Reflection, but it was more of a heart opening reflection. It's like, yeah, I don't know how long I have, so how do, how, how do I want to spend my time? Um, that, that arising of that reflection is what made me think of this to offer you this morning. Um, and I'll say that there are times when. Um, it's a tool, this, you know, the use of bringing in thoughts is a tool like any, any tool, and it can be motivated. <laughs> it can be motivated by wanting to get rid of something. Um, oh, maybe if I think that thought, it'll go away. You know, that, that resistance will go away. So um, um, what we have to open to with using this kind of reflection is that Sometimes it will have a kind of a, a loosening impact or an effect on our system to bring those thoughts in, and sometimes it won't. And so to not have any demand on that reflection to have a certain effect on our practice, on our experience in the moment. There are times in our mindfulness practice that we see a kind of a a constriction or a sense of of um, resistance or holding or craving or clinging, and it may partly because of the way uh, identif- identification works, it may feel like I'm doing that. Like, I'm the one that's holding, or I'm the one that's pushing, or I'm the one that's resisting. And because it feels like I'm doing that, it feels like I should be able to stop doing that. Sometimes there is a possibility of that. And it's useful to check. It's useful to explore that. If 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 it feels like I am resisting, 
is there a way that I can stop engaging in resisting? Is there, is there something that I'm picking up and doing that's contributing to that resistance? And, 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 and maybe, maybe I can stop doing that. I'm, sometimes I, I, um, I'd say, look at whether you're jumping on the bandwagon of whatever's happening, you know, at whatever hindrance is happening. That's that kind of, you know, oh, this this is resistance and oh, I really, I really should figure out how to get rid of this. And, and that, th- there's a part of that sometimes that is something that we're actively engaged in in the present moment. It's kind of like we have, there's something that has arisen. Maybe, you know, the, a hindrance and resistance has arisen and it's like we get involved in that and, and jump on the bandwagon of it and it's like we're adding to it. If that's happening and there can be a stepping back from that adding. That's very useful. So checking in to see, is it possible to step back from any doing uh, of an engagement in that? Am I, am I actively in this moment adding to or somehow contributing to actively this process of this hindrance? The more, the more I practice, however, the more I see that there are many times in practice where whatever's going on, whatever hindrance, whatever resistance is going on, is already in place. It's already functioning. And I'm not... There's, there's, it's, it's kind of like there's two tracks or something. Like there's the, the track of this hindrance that's, that's already like left the station. This, this train on this track, it's already left the station. And then it's almost like the mindfulness is on a separate track. And it can kind of watch that train. So these trains are kind of going together. But there's not much capacity at times. or There's not much... Um, there's not much ability in a way for this track to do something to change that track. It can watch it. It can be with it. And, for, and, and, and it does support it. It's, it's like somehow this, this second train being on the track next to the first train somehow takes the momentum or it's like, it's like the... the uh, the energy or the fuel into this train is no longer being added because we're, the, the fuel is kind of in this track. And so um, this one will come to an end or, or, or kind of end over time as the second track kind of follows along with it. But sometimes we feel like, well, I know it's here. I should be able to do something to change it. And sometimes, a lot of the time, the more we get into the deeper conditioning, a lot of the time, all that we can do is watch, observe, and allow the, uh, the pattern to find its own way to release. And so, you know, even sometimes the, you know, those wisdom reflections might have not, not have much traction. Just like, oh, this is just, it's like this. That's a wisdom reflection that's almost always useful. It's like this. Just this. 
So again, I'm encouraging a kind of a patience and a trust. And then I'll also say that sometimes, <laughs> you know, I'm talking about, and if this doesn't make any sense to you, just forget it. Um, just let it go. Uh, sometimes what happens is it feels like, I talked about there being like two trains. Sometimes what happens is it feels like the the awareness is on the train. So it's not like a separate track. It just feels like it's it's there. More like the mindfulness, the awareness is right in the middle of whatever's happening. And uh, that too is a way that that um, release of the pattern can happen. Sometimes, sometimes we, can, we can get used to the feeling of having the sense of awareness being separate from what we're observing and feel like that's, that's how, that's how the, the practice is supposed to feel. But there are times when it doesn't feel like that, when it feels more like the mindfulness is kind of coming up into the middle of it. No separation between the mindfulness and what we are mindful of. And equally, that can be transformative. It almost feels like whatever's happening knows itself. And then any, any kind of engagement to step away from that is a form of, almost of resistance. It's like we think we have to do something, we have to have an agenda, or ha- I have to be paying attention in a certain way. And so that, you know, that, that exploration, or when there are times when we might feel that sense of the mindfulness just being right in the midst of it, it can feel chaotic, it can feel uncomfortable. And, and as we, as we um, um, begin to trust it, that, that kind of chaotic nature of it no longer disturbs the mind. So that's probably enough for now. The question is about noticing a lot of thoughts in the meditation and um, noticing the kind of thoughts. Sometimes they were uh, aversive thoughts and sometimes they were thoughts of being acknowledged. So they, those had a, maybe a more pleasant quality to them. Um, but, but at times... acknowledging those and then trying to come to the breath and recognizing, you know, that you could do that took quite a bit of effort at times. Um, And and when is it time for that, essentially? Um, So, the first thing uh, that can be useful is that we often have an idea of, you know, thoughts being... um, a problem in meditation. And as we've been talking about this week, you know, if we, if we feel like we cannot be mindful while thoughts are happening, there's vast chunks of our daily life that are off limits to mindfulness. And so, 
um, you explored or, or looked at, okay, there's thoughts, and can I come to the breath? And that's, at times when thoughts are strong, you know, that's a, that's a pretty a big step. It's, you know, it's asking the mind to let go of a lot in order to focus on the breath. And so it is possible at times, and with a lot of effort of, of firm releasing, it's like, like just saying with a very kind way, like you'd say to a child doing something dangerous, you know, no, we're going to do this. No, no, we're going to do this. And it, it, it can, that, that can be useful. And in fact, the Buddha at one point in, uh, in an exploration of ways to um, remove the removal of distracting thoughts. There was a, a sutta he gave, removal of distracting thoughts. And he offered a number of tools for that. And the last one, the one to do when all else fails, is that, no, I'm going to do this. And so there's, there's several other options before that. I'm not going to describe that. I'm not going to give a teaching right now on those, those t- tools that the Buddha offered. Um, I've given talks on that. You probably can find them on Audio Dharma. Um, and other teachers have given talks on that. Um, and yet what, what I'll propose here or explore here is a very kind of useful tool, a simple, potentially simple tool, is that when there are a lot of thoughts, often there's some kind of emotion that's kind of underneath those thoughts. Some kind of feeling or... um, And it may not be what you expect. And so... I talked about this last night in the Dharma talk a little bit that, you know, in opening to our experience, we can have ideas about what might be happening. And those ideas are coming from, you know, a mind, that, a little tiny part of our mind. And it, it, it has a limited perspective on what's going on in there. And so opening to, okay, what's here? You know, what, what is happening underneath these thoughts. And so sometimes that question, okay, here's, there's thoughts here. What else is going on with those thoughts? Or you know, is there an emotion? Sometimes that's a useful question. Is there an emotion related to these thoughts? Because sometimes the, the thoughts are, are kind of like the emotion's way of getting our attention. And what really wants to be paying, paid attention to is the emotion under those thoughts. It's kind of like the emotion is sending up flares. Hey, hey, I'm here. Hey, have you seen me yet? And, and yet we're just staying with the thoughts. And so sometimes if we can uh, open a little further, you know, so like we often with mindfulness, we're, we're trying to notice the thoughts, what the thoughts are, the content of the thoughts, and, and you were doing that. There was a, a kind of noticing of that, and, and they kept going. And so often when thoughts are, have kind of a momentum or an energy to them, they do have a kind of a driver underneath. And if we can touch into that emotion, sometimes, not always, but sometimes... If we can be mindful of that emotion, you know, sometimes the, that emotion can be really strong and it's like, whoa, I had no idea that was here. 
and and then there's additional work to do to uh, to hold that or to potentially wow there's more anger here than I thought there was okay let me at that point then find something neutral you know turn to the breath or potentially turn to feet or using the corners that I talked about earlier something to let the mind step away from that strong reactivity but sometimes when we acknowledge an emotion underneath thought it's like that emotion says oh thank you I've been trying to get your attention <laughs> and, and it's, it's like a, it's like a it's like kind of like a kid you know who's, who's saying hey mom mom dad mom 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 and then you finally you go yep and they go I just wanted attention. <laughs> and so the, the, the emotion, sometimes it just wants to be seen. And in that just held in awareness, that loving awareness I talked about last night, you know, opening to, can it be held with the no part left out? You know, even those thoughts are part of our wholeness of our experience. And often thoughts are that place where we'll go zooming out of the present moment. So it's useful to know ways and ways and tools to help us stay present with that uh, that energy that's underneath those thoughts. So um, like I'm going to give an example of one of those times in my own practice when I was completely surprised by the emotion that was underneath a couple I'll give a couple um, so one was um, was on retreat yeah let's open the circle so she can come in um, one was on retreat and I kept noticing the mind um, kind of mo- moving out to think about friends I was like, wow, these friends aren't here right now. Be present. Minds go out thinking, oh, these friends aren't here. This is, that's not here, not what's happening. So there was a belief, an idea, something about what is supposed to be being paid attention to. It's like, not that. I mean, they're, they're like 8,000 miles away. or No, not that far. But you know, they're a long way away, and they're not here. So what's here? And so I had this kind of step back from those thoughts to... Um, come back to what I thought was here, the breath or whatever. And I kept doing that, but it, it kept happening. And at some point, I finally like opened it. So like, what? Well, what's here? I mean, what, what's, what are these thoughts connected with? And the feeling that arose very strongly in that moment was metta. It was, there was a feeling that the, the I don't know, I, I didn't see actually the beginning of that whole process. So I don't know whether the, the, a feeling of metta arose and it kind of naturally was just reaching out to like touch friends in my life. Or I don't know whether the thoughts of friends kind of um, touched into something that dropped me into the metta. I don't know which came first, the thoughts or the metta. But what I did recognize is that when the metta was acknowledged, the thoughts just... I mean, it's like the, the, that's what was happening, was this, this feeling of connectedness and care and love. And when I was able to do that, the thought stopped. The mind was just in that feeling of metta. And so 
Sometimes when there is a, a kind of a repetitive, we, we, we tend to think, so this is, I say, I tell, talk about this one and the next one too, they're both kind of in this way. Um, we tend to think that when thoughts are strong, that there's something like that shouldn't be happening underneath, you know, some kind of hindrance. And in this case, it was metta. It was something wholesome that was like saying, hey, you know, I'm here. You're not noticing this. So sometimes our thoughts, you know, if we're, if we're saying, oh, thoughts come to the breath, thoughts come to the breath, we may be missing something, and not only some kind of hindrance that may be asking for attention, but some kind of wholesome quality, compassion, love, joy that might be happening. And so that was one where I was kind of like, wow, I didn't know that was there. The other one kind of similar, I was driving, I was... Um, you know, just driving my car, and I noticed the mind, like, it was very unpleasant. It was planning. It was spinning out into the future. And it was so agitated, that spinning mind of, ah, i got to do this and that and the other thing. And it was like, whoa, I'm going to come back. And, and again, there was some idea of what it meant to be present. It's like hands on the steering wheel, seeing I'm driving right now. This is what it means to be present. So I would come back to that. Moments later, the mind was spinning out again. And again, at some point, it's like, wow, this is really strong. You know, so my first movement was to just like, can I let this go, come back? Can I let this go, come back? And yet when over and over again, it didn't, it, it didn't di- diminish that energy Instead of doubling down to, no, stay here, instead of that kind of energy, I, I explored, well, what else is happening? You know, I went large again, that kind of like, what else is going on here? There's something happening that I don't know what it is. And when, when I opened to that, what I discovered was that I was really happy. I was like, What? And, and the mind, what I saw is that that happiness, um, it was kind of like the mind was latching on to that happiness and saying, how do I keep this? How do I make sure this keeps going? It was like, you know, let, reaching into the future. How can I do this? How can I do How can I make sure this person knows that thing and that person knows that thing? And I had completely missed that happiness. And so again, completely surprised if I had used analysis to say, okay, well, I must be agitated about something. I'm planning, so what is the agitation about? You know, it's like if instead of just opening, well, what's here? What's here? Whew. Happiness. And the next moment, I was just grinning driving down the road. You know, it's just like feeling that happiness. And again, when felt, that happiness no longer had the need to... Uh, proliferate. So that's a kind of an in-between practice that I would encourage. We, we, we think of you know, either paying attention to thoughts or, or being aware of thoughts or I'm present with something that I'm choosing it. And so the, a middle place is kind of, so thoughts are happening there's something already present there as opposed to trying to shift the the mind to pay attention to something else. See if the mind can open to the kind of context or terrain around 
that strong experience and see if there's a possibility for mindfulness to hold that. To me, it often feels like widening the container, stepping back. What else is happening? It's just added in here. Um, so the question about, you know, if you have gotten involved in something and have done something, you know, that maybe created some suffering or affliction or pain for someone else or yourself, and then later recognizing um, that the mind keeps going back to it and feeling, you know, kind of feeling the guilt around that. Um, what, you know, then the idea of, you know, can I let that go or should I let, or should I let that go? Isn't there something to learn here? Um, and so the, the Buddha talked about two qualities that are along the lines of, you know, both learning from our mistakes and um, kind of the way our, so there's the, the reflection into the past and the Pali word for that is hiri, H-I-R-I, and it basically means something like conscience. It doesn't mean guilt. It means that the mind understands this is what it's like to have created suffering. And it feels off a little bit. It feels, it hurts. And it hurts for reason that that hurt, uh, in hurt inner hurt when we have done something to create external hurt is kind of, I think of it as kind of a moral compass. It helps us to recognize, oh, it's not, it doesn't feel good to have done that. Um, and so that's one side, the, the side of looking back to the past. The other side is that we have the capacity to, to model, think about the future and think about, is, how is this action going to land? Is it going to create harm for uh, someone else or myself? And again, we have that feeling of offness if our mind creates that projection and recognizes, ooh, that might be painful. And so those are two qualities. That is called otapa, which... Um, Tanisaro Bhikkhu translates as concern. And so these two qualities, conscience and concern, um, are wholesome qualities of mind that have an unpleasant feeling tone to them. Um, and there are not that many wholesome qualities of mind that feel unpleasant, but, but these two have a feeling of offness. And because they're unpleasant, often we have a reaction to them. We either feel like, you know, our minds go into justification mode or go into self-flagellation mode around those, that, those feelings. And, you know, it, might be, it, it could be like, wow, I'm such a bad person. How can I, how can I you know, um, uh, how can I, you know, undo this somehow? How can I figure out how to go back and make myself not have done that? You know, there's one famous quote uh, saying forgiveness means giving up all hope of a better past. That's kind of that movement around our minds to, to try to figure out how. It's like our mind relives the past, trying to make it another scenario. And that actually is not so helpful <laughs> because we can't redo the past. But what we can do is feel the pain of the suffering. And what I'd say is that in my own exploration of this quality, the feeling of that conscience, that feeling of that offness that comes when we've done something that creates harm, it's very, very close 
to what we call shame and guilt. It's, it's, it's like a hair's breadth difference. And what I'd say is the difference in quality inwardly is the feeling of contraction, tightness, um, um, thoughts perhaps around, oh, they deserved it anyway, or I'm so bad. You know, those, those thoughts will come in when there's a contracted quality around that feeling versus an open heart, an open quality around that feeling, a, a quality of recognizing... And, and the, the, the wisdom thought that I've used in that situation that's been very helpful for me is it feels like this to have created suffering with that kind of gentleness of tone. And I'd encourage a hanging with that feeling as opposed to thinking about what there is to learn about it because the wisdom Again, so much wisdom is in our system that's not available from this very thin layer of of rationality and uh, concepts that we have. There's a lot of wisdom underneath. And so hanging with that feeling of, oh, it feels like this to have created suffering and being available for what kind of bubbles up in that, there may be something that is understood about, oh, this this is what needed to be learned. This is what needed to be understood. And so the feeling of the heart being, it, it's quivering. It's like the, the, the system is, is kind of resonating with that suffering. And yet, if it can be held without it being hard, I would say, let that be the exploration. And, and what I'd say for myself, too, is recognizing when it shifts to that hardness, and recognizing that that hardness is extra. That hardness is a sense of identification, either of selfing or othering. You know, that, that's, another, that's another really helpful exploration when we're in a, in a situation of um, uh, having created harm. Sometimes we, we blame ourselves. We you know, come into, I'm at fault. I made the mistake. Sometimes we other. They're at fault. It's their, it's their fault. And they're the reason why I'm feeling this way. Um, and so anytime there's a sense either of I'm at fault or they're at fault, you know, that the selfing or othering, there's, there's some kind of identification happening. We don't often notice the othering as identification here. But if we are othering, there is a kind of a holding to a separation of self. So sometimes we can recognize that we're... Um, identifying with something strongly when we are doing that. Somebody else is to blame. So that, you know, if we're feeling that hardness or that separation, that's worth recognizing. And again, you know, we may not be able to say, oh, stop doing that. Stop having that sense of hardness. But maybe the system can open a little further and recognize, oh, this is a strong habit of response to that feeling of, this is what it feels like to be suffering, is that feeling of guilt. And so can I hold that, no part left out, can I hold that with a loving awareness? Oh, the feeling of guilt is happening. A kind of a sense of the recognition that that too is conditioned. You know, we've practiced these things so much in our lives. Um... So your, the question around, you know, using mental noting in daily life, um, 
And, uh, you know, some teachers, Mahasi Sayadaw, encouraging a kind of a continuous mental noting. Uh, in my own, um, and, and then finding in daily life, there's sometimes when the mental noting is helpful and other times when it feels like it's in the way. In particular, it can be helpful when, maybe at times when you're alone and, and able to let go of, of um, you know, the, the, the thoughts about the planning or what needs to happen. Because I would propose, too, that sometimes the, the mental noting can get in the way if you have to think about something. You know, if you need to, to reflect on the next thing you need to do, then using a mental noting to go thinking, thinking is going to step you back on that same way you described that separate track. Or um, if you're talking, sometimes the mental noting feels like it's extra or gets in the way. And so how might you practice in these situations? And what I'd say is that, um, first thing I'll say is that... um, um, when um, when I was practicing in the monastery in Burma uh, at a Mahasi-style monastery, we were encouraged to note everything. And um, there's different ways to note. I mean, it's like noting is just picking up on one little split second of stuff. I mean, you're not really noting everything. And this at some point became very clear. And at one point, my, my teacher says, are you noting every single intention? And I said, no. <laughs> and he kind of laughed and said, it's not possible. Um, a little bit of a trick question, you know. <laughs> um, and, um, and so, you know, the, the, what, we, what we note is just like the, the bare, like, like, surface of what we're experiencing. And the noting itself is really a tool to keep us connected so that we can see vastly more than, uh, you know, it's like when the mindfulness gets strong and continuous and the noting can support that, it's a tool to support that, um, then there's a lot more that's seen aside from what's being noted. Um, and so the, the, the noting is, is kind of, I like in using the noting, and I use the noting too in my daily life very minimally, you know, it, but it's more along the lines of a, re- a recognition of what is already known than it is a directing of, okay, this is what I'm doing now. You know, it's kind of, it's more, it's more along the lines, it's close to perception. It's like, this is what's being perceived right now, and there's a kind of a recognition of that. This is where the attention is connecting. So it's more of an acknowledgement than it is a directing of attention. Um, and, uh, and what I've seen in daily life for myself is that, that what you describe about... Um, the noting, the noting being uh, kind of separating us from what's happening, especially when we have to think or speak or process content. And that's because that activity of noting is that same kind of uh, function as the thinking and speaking. And so it, it kind of separates us from that. And, and then what, what often happens, what possibly happens is that we equate mindfulness with that activity. But that activity of noting is a support for mindfulness. It's not mindfulness itself. It's a, it's a tool that helps the mind, you know, kind of consciously say, oh, so this is what's my, what, what mindfulness is noticing. 
that's and it's kind of an acknowledgement of it. So it's an extra piece that kind of lands with and connects. And so for myself in daily life practice, what I've really found most useful is the um, is the recognition or acknowledgement of the mindfulness itself, which is not it's not necessary to note to 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 know that to to be there in that um, and as I spoke about earlier in the week, I didn't quite emphasize this potentially. I did speak about being aware that you are aware. Um, But one of the prime moments in our practice to uh, recognize that mindfulness happens without any kind of doing. So another piece I'll say is that the the noting is kind of a, a form of prompting mindfulness. We can only start noting when we are already mindful. And so it's kind of a, it's a tool that helps keep the mindfulness going. Um, and, and it can be extremely useful if we're not having to do something that is using that part of the mind. Um, and in retreat, you know, the, 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 we don't have to use that part of the mind much at all. And so we can explore that continuous noting. In daily life, I think we have to let the noting go at times because of this very thing. So then the practice becomes more, can the mind land with the mindfulness of the thinking, of the speaking? And so the the cultivation of the recognition of the mindfulness, without it being prompted, becomes interesting. And one of the uh, key places to notice that is the moment that mindfulness returns. Because that moment, you haven't prompted with anything. It has simply arisen. This happens, and this moment happens all the time. I mean, it happens, it happens in sitting. Every time we recognize, oh, I've been thinking. That actually, that, that's a lag of noticing that mindfulness has returned. That thought is kind of the note almost of, oh, mindfulness is back. Um, and, and we can begin to get familiar with the feeling of the arising of mindfulness and we can feel that. It's kind of like the lights come on. We can feel it before the mind says, oh, I'm back. Because it takes having felt it for that process of concept to come in and, and identify it. So, but, but often that, that feeling or the recognition, the feeling of that awareness coming back is a little below the level of our conscious, conscious awareness. It's, so it takes some, some practice to begin to kind of get familiar with that quality or the sense of, oh, mindfulness is back. Not with the acknowledgement, but just the lights have come on. There's awareness again. And so that is a point, that's a moment that I emphasize a lot in the daily life practice. And, you know, the, the using of the tasks, the chores, partly that, you know, the, the recognition, oh, I haven't been doing that, or here, here I am in the moment of, of standing or reaching or drinking. Part of the exploration there is to help the mind get familiar with this is what it's like to be mindful in the midst of daily life. We've set an intention towards the connecting with that activity, but what we're exploring is the possibility that the mindfulness arises spontaneously, and it does arise spontaneously. It has to arise spontaneously or we couldn't do the prompting. 
And so the, that, that recognition of that spontaneous arising of mindfulness, that's a piece that we can get familiar with in daily life. And then, and then having felt that, having felt that sense of, this is effortless mindfulness. It takes no effort whatsoever to know this, to be here. That is the kind of mindfulness that can infuse thinking and speaking and engagement in conversation. And so it, it takes... Uh, so in my own exploration of this, I've seen that kind of it, it can come in from underneath trying to do it from the top where we're using the, the noting to try to stay with. There can be some, tra- some you know, traction we get with that, but there's been much more kind of um, understanding because it's a different kind of activity of mind, this, this recognizing the mindfulness just doing itself, essentially. So that's what I'd encourage an exploration of, is, is noticing in, a, in the moments before you note... Can you recognize, without words, you know, just this kind of mindfulness is back. This is awareness. And using a note for that actually can help. (laughs) You know, instead of noting standing or intending, oh, aware. That helps the mind kind of step back to recognize the awareness itself. So aware of intending to stand. Uh, so I would encourage that exploration and patience with it, but it will it will um, bear fruit in terms of the 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 cultivation of the recognition of that moment of mindfulness returning. I think I said this on Sunday that the more you notice that, the more it recognizes itself when it happens. It's like it's like our our system gets attuned to that experience of mindfulness returning and it becomes a wake-up bell. It, 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 it tells us it's here. And then we start to see just how much it's happening. It's, it's really popping in a lot. And then in noticing that, and I've got one minute on this clock, <laughs> in noticing that Mindfulness pops in. Like anything, you know, a hindrance arises. It's got its momentum. It will last as long as it lasts. Mindfulness arises. It's got a momentum. It will last as long as it's la- it lasts. And, and we may be able to just ride that wave and see how long does that wave of mindfulness last. If you're curious, if there's a curiosity about that, Sometimes we'll see that the, the, the kind of noting there is actually in the way of a deeper kind of connection to that mindfulness itself. And that as we can kind of recognize the wave of that mindfulness, then we get familiar with that sense of a little bit of continuity of mindfulness without the doing of it. And that begins to inform itself and, and uh, condition itself. So it's a, it's a different way to bring in the mindfulness than the kind of trying to do it from the top. And both are useful. I would definitely I've spent a lot of time doing the noting practice and had a lot of benefit from that. And this, uh, this style or this exploration from kind of from the underneath, it's kind of like opened, opened doors that the other didn't, for me at least. So... 
I just offer that, and now it's time to stop. So thank you. <laughs> 